Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Ball in a Real World podcast. This is a grand final edition. Uh, we are talking NBL and we have a matchup, Tasmania and Sydney, that I would say not too many people predicted. In fact, uh, none of us predicted it about a week ago when we did our semifinal preview podcast. So we're going to get into that, uh, of course, alongside me, my colleagues, friends, Peter Hooley and Steve Smith and... Pete, I'm going to throw to you first. As a former Melbourne United player, you were in the arena last night, and we're going to get to Tasmania. We're going to be talking plenty about Tasmania, plenty about Sydney. But I think first we should sound off on the two teams that uh, their season ended over the weekend. And one of them, uh, we didn't think it was going to be the case, and it was your former team, Melbourne United. So uh, just walk us through what you're thinking as you're watching this game and we all we all did sit here and some of us thought that this could a chance to be a competitive series uh one of us did not uh we won't name names but this nonetheless mm. is still a shocking result well it is it's more shocking the result but the way that game three went about and let's make one thing clear we'll preface it chris golding is the the one out they really couldn't afford to have yes i still think they could have yeah. covered for JLA, if say if JLA was out, we know he's been the most dominant player. But Chris Golding ultimately is the one player that just they could not afford to be missing. And you saw exactly why almost every possession when things started to get a little tough. They couldn't buy baskets. They the, Just the lack of having that leadership and that poise, which is interesting to say when you talk about Chris Golding because he, he likes to play with flair. But he, he makes big plays, but he also... Him just being out there is a calming influence on everybody else. You could see, once I knew that he was ruled out of the game, uh, I was thinking they've shot so poorly against Tassie <laughs> in the first two games from three. I would venture to guess that Dean's saying, oh, we're, we're going to shoot only wide open threes and max they might get up 14 threes in this game. They shot more threes last night that were heavily contested that I'd seen in so long. And considering that Golding wasn't playing, it blew my mind to see how many poor shots that Tasmania forced them to have to take. Because again, a lot of it was their defense, but a lot of it was just the mental pressure that they, they were under without him out there. And it just, it, they never looked comfortable. Other than the first 50 seconds, I think they started really strong and they were up and about. They got the crowd involved, but it was kind of one of those games where you can't get too ahead of yourself. You can't get too excited playing Tassie because they just stay like level-headed the entire game. Steve, we were, or where I was, was pretty close. And to Peter's point, where I was, was pretty close to the Melbourne bench. And uh, it was that third quarter run that really, for me, I mean, first of all, uh, to Pete's point, they weathered the storm. I mean, if you go in at halftime and the scores are tied, I was like, okay, now uh, we've got a real game. And now Melbourne's going to start to feel this. They went on the run. They got up by about six to eight points late in the third quarter. And you could visibly see very clearly on the bench that, the stress was starting to build. The frustration was absolutely starting to build. And you could sense and you could visibly see that this was a team realizing that it was starting to slip away. Yeah, it was a really un-Melbourne United third quarter, wasn't it? Because generally you, you expect them when things get tough, that they're the ones that are going to execute well and that they're going to build a lead and grind you into the dirt. And the polar opposite happened. And it was really, really strange to watch and... To further to Pete's point, just in terms of the loss of, of Chris Golding, it's it's not so much that he, yes, he would have shot probably better from, from the arc and 
you know, you had all those blokes who went one for 21, like Agata, Delhi, Barber and White missed 20 of the 21 threes that they took. But it's also the gravity that Golding has that brings open shots for other players as well. So they missed that. I just, it was shocking to watch. I, I couldn't get my head around what Tassie did to them. They, they discombobulated them to the point of distraction. It was amazing to watch. 73.5 points is what they averaged over six games against Tassie this season. So that's also not pretend that this was a one-off performance. They were doing this all season to this team. Uh, Pete, let's cut to the chase. Did they make a mistake with the roster and the way that they put this together? Now, they were clearly the number one defensive team in the league from start to finish. And when I spoke to Dean Vickerman a few weeks ago, I asked him, I said, look, you really are a middle-of-the-pack offensive team, basically in all categories. And he said, well, that's true. He's like, but if you're a top defense and a top offense, that's pretty rare. You're, you, that, that you don't see that very often. I said, okay, that's a fair point there, Dean. But the big concern was uh, that in the half court, this team is going to struggle. Now, sure, you can say that Chris Golden was a big loss, and he absolutely was. But even when Chris was in there, at times this year, they looked like they just didn't have enough. And you think, obviously, they lost Jock Landale, who was a major piece as a facilitator and a guy that you can funnel the offense through. But the other guy is Scotty Hobson, and they just didn't have someone like that on this team that could score. And in the end, it came back to, to bite them in the semifinal series. Doesn't help, when you miss 10, doesn't help when you miss yeah. 10 of your free throws as well. Well, sure. that was huge as well. And that, again, but that's pressure, isn't it? That was pressure yeah. coming down yeah. to those yeah. I mean, three points. But I always was under the impression they were one piece away from yeah. the preseason. And when they put their run together and they clamped down defensively, well, that's what Dean Vickerman does. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if they come up against whoever, if it's Perth in the grand final, in a final series or whatever, I still think they're one piece away in terms of if, if someone goes at Chris Gold, if he gets a couple of fouls, who's going to be their next man up? We saw the teams just, especially Tasmania, said, we're not letting JLA beat us. There is no chance we're letting JLA yeah. beat us. We're just going to be physical. We're going to crowd him. Let's be clear also, those three games, that was WrestleMania for those three games. Yeah. That was some <laughs> of the most physical basketball you'll see. And I'm here for it. It's, it's finals. Yeah. You've got to put the away. So the fact that it was physical for both teams, I mean, there's, there's always plenty of bad calls in every single game. There's bad calls all season long. But for the most part, they would just let two teams just try and beat each other up and in the end, I think that played into Tasmania's hands. But, yeah, I think offensively, they were still a piece away. And bringing in Udai Baba was going to be huge for that. But the thing was, how much are you going to use him when you've already got those positions covered? You've got More of the same. Yeah. Exactly right. So it's like, well, one guy maybe has to try and get going in 30 minutes and the other one maybe doesn't instead of trying to get both. Uh, and before, my last thing on that is Shaley is one of the best players you'll ever watch play a sport. Yeah. The other In thing we talk about, <laughs> the other thing we talk about with United, okay, yes, they were so good defensively throughout the season, but they gave up offensive boards at the worst possible times last night. And that, I think, more than anything else is what is is what cost them defensively. Well, they very, won one. Very unlike, the, the whole thing was very unlike Melbourne United. Well, they won one game in this series and the game that they won was when the Jack Jumpers didn't shoot threes. And that's why even if the Jack Jumpers weren't making threes, it was important that they continued to take them because they did open up opportunities for those long rebounds, the offensive rebounds. And that hurt uh, Melbourne in this game. One last one on Melbourne, I will say. And look, he, he's a star of this team. So I, I think that you have to look at it and say, Daly, across the three games, yeah. 23 points on 32 shots uh, wasn't enough. And Melbourne in the preseason spoke up and they talked it up. 
They were the ones that were saying that he was going to be a more prominent scorer, a more prominent offensive player. And ultimately, at the end of the season, you would have to say that wasn't the case. And that's who he is. That's fine. He's done, obviously, incredible things over the course of his career. Uh, But again, when you look back on this roster, you may say it might have been just a really bad matchup, which I think it was. But uh, ultimately, they didn't have enough scoring and uh, they should have been able to should have been able to put away this Tasmania team as good as they've been. Quickly on the Illawarra Hawks, uh, they lost to it. Look, they were in these games. Sydney's really, really damn good. I don't think there was any shame in losing these two games. Uh, I think ultimately, late in the game, uh, on, on the weekend in game two, they just weren't able to generate good shots. And Dwight Reith was taking difficult shots. Retire Mays was taking difficult shots. And those guys can score. And I thought they were, they were fantastic, obviously, throughout the season. Uh, but it was just a little bit easier for Sydney. I, I think that was my biggest takeaway. Never once during the games that I was watching them back did I think, I mean, Illawarra went on runs, but it was, I never felt comfortable enough to be like, Illawarra's got this game in the back. Yeah. I just always felt like Sydney had more. And let's not, let's not beat around the bush. You're going to be really hard-pressed to beat a team that's led by Jalen Adams. Jalen Adams <laughs> is one of the best players we've seen. He, he is truly unreal watching him, the way he goes about it. The, the most quietest 59 points in two games, I think, that you'll see. The way he dominated and it's just effortless. He's never rushed. He just knows exactly what spot he wants to get to, picks apart the game, a step ahead, and you just always knew that no matter what happened, if, if Jalen Adams wasn't fouled out or wasn't injured, he was going to get him over the line. And I still think like you've got pieces like Xavier Cooks and uh, Jarrell Martin stepped up big, but it all to me comes down to Jalen Adams. If he's on the floor, I, I don't see a team beating Sydney in a series. There's a, um, there's a toughness and resilience to Sydney that we probably didn't really think was there, I guess, at the start of the season. Um, and it's a little bit different than, say, Tassie with Scott Roth, who's there, like their heartbeat. But that toughness and resilience comes from Chase Buford as well. So it's it's same but different. And they they stopped the Hawks from getting, you know, hitting the offensive glass. Like it was was exactly what Melbourne didn't do with Tassie. Sydney managed to do with Illawarra, and they just they stopped those second chance opportunities, stopped them dead. Yeah, yeah they're the best defensive rebounding team in the competition and uh, and they do that. They don't necessarily crash the offensive glass a lot, but certainly on the defensive glass, they've been on there all season. And uh, something that people overlook with Sydney a little bit is the fact they are, uh, they're basically at the same defensive rating as Tasmania on the season, but with Melbourne, they were the top three teams. So uh, the offense is obviously got more firepower than any team in the league. And it has for a while. Uh, but all the while they've been doing them, they've been doing the scoring and Jalen Adams has been doing his thing. Ian Clark's coming off the bench. No one has a weapon like him coming off the bench. Uh, the defense has been consistent all season long, Hawks. Well, it has. And look, to be honest, both the games you talk about the Hawks in Melbourne, both had to try and shoot their way out of the problems they were in. Hawks have more shooters, obviously, but they just didn't knock down big shots when it mattered. And you look back at the shots that Sydney were making the Hawks have to take, and they were tough shots. And yeah, yeah you yeah. live with a couple of them, but after you started to miss a couple, then you force a few up. And I think Rattan Mays was a big key to that. And I think Rattan Mays was trying to come down and force those shots at times. And then Tyler Harvey tried to force some shots. But you got to give credit to Sydney's defense for making that happen. I think they they took them out of what they were comfortable with. I think really the only person you could really say had, a, a, I guess, if you want to call it a dominant two games was Duop Reith. I think he stood up. Yeah. 
when it mattered most yeah. for the Hawks. Uh, Sam Froling showed a little bit late. But besides that, it kind of played into exactly what I'm sure Chase Buford wanted the Kings to do is, look, we're going to be up and in. We're going to be physical. We're going to have all the help there. But if we can force them to live with contested shots, long shots, quick shots, then we're going to be in a chance to win this game and run over the top. And that's exactly what they did. It says a lot that, um, you know, with two minutes to go, there was, it was only a two-point game and they won by 12. <laughs> like, locked them up when it, when it mattered most. And, of course, we'll see. The talking point over the off-season is going to be Gorge. And everyone knows what he said after the game. He was obviously a little emotional. They just got knocked out uh, for the season. Been incredible two seasons uh, that he's had there, really, for Illawarra. And this year, they had a really damn strong team. And again, when you look at the matchups in the playoffs and you go back to a few weeks before the postseason, they look like the least likely team to make it. Uh, and Southeast Melbourne was in that mix. And obviously we thought Perth were going to be a lock because of the run they had into the postseason. And they beat all the top teams. They beat them all to get to the postseason and uh, had some classic games with Sydney over the last two weeks. But ultimately they lost three out of four of those. And to your point, Hulls, the game that they won Jalen Adams wasn't playing. Uh, ultimately, he was he was the difference, and Sydney were probably just too good. We'll see what happens with Gorge. But let's talk about Tassie in the grand final. And I think we've kind of already hinted to the fact that Sydney's going to be the favorite for this series. We understand that. Uh, but uh, let's be honest. Uh, they've been the underdogs all season long, and I think that they're pretty comfortable with it. I don't think that they'll care that they're the underdogs getting into this series. Uh, the format, best of five games, uh, rotating each game. So the game one is Sydney, game two in Hobart. And so, you know, they only have to win one game and they're getting two games down in Tassie. And with that atmosphere, with that team, the way that town's going to be getting behind this team, uh, let's just say I hope that they at least get the two games at home because I just want to see it. I just want to see the atmosphere in the town and everyone get behind them. No doubt. Uh Again, I don't think they want anyone to think that like they're going to be really competitive. That's just That's right. in the That's way. Right. That, yeah. Everybody yeah. is against them. Everybody picks them last. Everybody says they have no shot of making the finals. They'll, ne- they'll not get close to Melbourne United. That's just how they've lived their entire season. So if anyone comes on and says, now, look, they're going to really take Sydney to all five games, they wouldn't want that. They want the world against them because it just makes every single one of those players when they step on the floor fight that little bit harder um, and I've thought about this. I can't remember if I said it last time on the, on this pod. Of like, in the most respectful way possible, if you had to pick a team of twelve with three imports in the entire NBL, you're not picking a single jack jumper at all. And then if you think about picking a, another team, the second team, you're probably still not. You might sneak one on. But if I told you to pick a team that you think can battle after watching the season, if it's not Sydney, it's Tassie. As a team, their puzzle is one of the most incredible cultures and a team that I've seen with my own eyes in any sport, in any sport, just the culture of what they've managed to achieve together with, as a lot of people have said, the individual talent is far less than a Melbourne United. It's far less than other teams, but what they've achieved and continue to achieve is nothing short of, it should be inspiring for a lot of other teams at any level, but it's remarkable. Yeah, like we like we made the joke last week, you know, they've never missed the the, the the playoffs in you know their existence. Well now they've never missed the championship series <laughs> in their existence either. So like it but it 
what Scott Roth has done, and you think about he was there, you know, a year early, he couldn't see his wife and kid, you know, the effort that he's gone to and the culture that he's built, I'm with you, Hulls, this has been a remarkable thing to watch. And it's such a, a feel-good story. I think that even United fans can't really begrudge them, you know, winning that winning that last night. So uh, as we get into what we think they can potentially do on the floor and we go back to what we discussed uh, last week ahead of the series with Melbourne. So the blueprint for Tasmania offensively is shoot a lot of threes. So in the regular season, 45% of their field goal attempts were threes. So that was by far the highest in the league. And they got shut down in game one because they only shot 11 or 13. They shot in game one, which was 10 fewer than their previous season low. So Melbourne understood the assignment. They understood the blueprint. The longer the series went, Tasmania were able to adjust a little bit. And Scott Roth, who, by the way, himself says that he is uh, not a great X's and O's coach or yeah, it's not his strong suit. I think he's lying because I think he's he's done a fantastic job. But, Hools, in our three-by-three three column that we do, we one of the questions we were asking is who's going to be an X-factor and in this grand final series. And I... I wrote, and by the way, I don't know if you've written it yet, so if we've got the same player, my apologies, but I'm getting in first. And I wrote Josh Adams, and, and I wrote it the first sentence. I said, describing the team's top scorer as an X-factor feels a little silly, but he's very erratic, and he doesn't always take great shots. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that if Tasmania is winning games, this man is normally scoring. And they're 8-10 and 10 when he doesn't score 19 points, and they're 8-3, and three when he does, uh, sorry, 10 and three when he does, including game three when he dropped 30 and 21 in the second half. So on a team that has a bunch of guys that uh, Jack Mavay will get his points, Josh Majed will shoot half court threes and knock down a couple if he's really feeling it. They don't have too many reliable guys that they can go to every single night. But Josh Adams is the difference maker that if he does have a night where he goes for 25 plus, because of the way that the Jack Jumpers have played defense and generally limited teams to low scoring games, that's why I thought they were a chance against Melbourne. And that's why if they're going to win a game in this series, it'll be one of those nights where Adams is shooting, leaning off the dribble, corner three daggers to win the Jack Jumpers, a grand final series game. It's his shot selection. I mean, I think it's got, it went from poor early in the season, which Scott Roth pulled him back a bit. Yeah. To really, to phenomenal. I think after that, him and Josh made it changed. To now, in the last probably four weeks, it's gone back to what it was in the first <laughs> season. I think Josh Majet is the one who's really pulled back the whole way yeah. a little yeah. bit, and that's allowed Josh Adams to be like, I can take some of these erratic shots because he makes a lot of these erratic shots, uh, and he's so fun to watch. He's he's got a swagger about him. He he, he takes big shots, but he makes big shots and. It's a good call and saying he's an X factor. I'm still staying with Mikhail McIntosh because I think even last night, his presence on the glass, his physicality, if he stays out of foul trouble, he's knocking down threes now. He only, he only has to knock down one three a game for it to be a successful outside shooting <laughs> from Mikhail McIntosh. But he's still, he's been a big presence for them off the bench. But it's weird to think about X factors on a team that the entire the entire squad is so crucial. They can't afford yeah. to miss any one of these puzzle pieces. Jared Weeks hit a big three last night. Yeah. He plays very limited minutes. Their puzzle is so perfect right now that any sort of disruption to that, I think they'll be in big trouble. I don't know if but this is probably- true, by the way, Steve, but uh, last night I heard that Mikhail McIntosh hit that big three 
And it looked like he looked to the crowd or he said something to the crowd. And I haven't seen a replay to exactly identify who it was directed to. But uh, our friends Liam Santa Maria and Cam Luke were sitting right there. And, and I heard a bit of deflection from the boys that it was actually Mikhail McIntosh talking to a little kid sitting courtside that may have yelled out brick as he let go <laughs> of the ball. And then he knocked it down and just let the kid know. So, yeah, I don't know whether that's true or not, but a little story. Oh, no, that's fun. Like, you've got to have some fun either way. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd prefer it if he, was, if he was talking smack to Liam. That, that would have yeah, been much, much funnier. Um, he, it's him and Jack McVeigh for me as the X Factors. Like, Jack was so good last night. He, he basically played Jack White to a draw, um, mm. you know, despite Jack White obviously not shooting well. But it's those two. And I guess, like, we talk about Adams. And the other thing about Adams, like, obviously – he shoots his shot selection, sure, but his hops are really good. So when he's driving to the basket and driving hard, it opens up the jumper later on. And that's what we saw later in the game. Like he went scoreless, you know, in the first quarter. And then by, by the end of the game, because he'd been driving, that lane was now, you know, not open for him. He's he's hitting the jumper. So it, he kills you so many ways. It's it's kind of hard for even the, a, as good a defensive team as Sydney to to really figure him out. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they've clocked him yet. Well, the thing I love about Jack McVeigh, by the way, is now really later on in the season, he's feeling super super comfortable with getting <laughs> the ball, dribbling into the block, backing him down, oh. little turnaround, Dirk fade. That is nothing but net every single time. So the question, Pete, is, and you you've been watching this man for a while we all have sporadic minutes uh is this just was this always going to happen if he got the opportunity what what has changed what have you seen i mean i think he's just he's so particular in the way he perfects his craft every day in and day out because a lot of the shots he actually takes uh you look at him if you watch him do an individual workout and you're like there's no way this man actually takes those shots he actually (laughs) shoots a lot of one-legged running threes to the side that he shoots in NBL one. And I don't think he's got that trust from Scott Roth yet to pull it out. <laughs> but it's coming because again, it might look like a poor shot, but if that's what he practices every single day, then that's what he's going to eventually try and perfect. But talking to Josh Adams, I think it was three weeks ago after they played New Zealand in my state bank arena after that game. And uh, we asked what happened like with all those meetings uh, to turn things around when they're two and six. And he said, besides him and Josh Majette having to pull back a bit, it was Scott Ross saying that Jack McVay had to be, if not their number one guy, number two in terms of getting going offensively. And I think everybody started to see that, including Jack himself. He's a very, he's an energy guy, but he's also not a guy who's going to turn around at the start of a season and say, I'm taking these shots. I'm doing all these, like, give me the ball. He's more of a, if you guys trust me and you want me to do it, I'll, I'll do it. So I think that's, that's Scott Roth having that direction of, we're getting Jack McVay more shots now, has allowed... Jack McVay to just flourish before our very eyes. So tell me this, Steve. Why can't Tasmania win this from the Sydney perspective? Uh, what is the reason in your mind that Sydney's going to win this? And I say that, I mean, you can obviously predict that Tasmania is going to win. We'll get to that. But Sydney, as we know, are going to be the heavy favourites. So why? Why are they the heavy favourites? I just think they're they're a little more battle-tested. I think, I think obviously the quality of depth of talent will, will probably win out. I, I think Tasmania will win a game. I just, I can't see them beating Sydney, you know, three times out of five. I just, I don't see how that can possibly happen. I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure that Tassie will win one game at home, um, but I, I don't see how they can win this. Just simply, just simply based on the depth of talent and how well coached 
both teams are, but I think Chase Buford is 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 such a good coach. He's going to have Sydney primed uh, at both ends. I think that's that's probably the key more than anything else. So, what's the biggest concern when you look at the the lineups, the matchups? What what's the problem, Pete? There's two words for everything you asked, Jalen Adams. Yep. Nobody has an answer for that man. If he wants to go, he's going to go, and he's going to score, or he's going to get his teammates involved. Until I can see uh, a 40 minute effort from Tazzy to really quieten him down and completely quiet him down for the entire 40 minutes, I just can't be convinced that they'll get over the line because no one's done it. He had a poor game against Adelaide way back and hit a dagger to win the game. He had a poor shooting game in Bendigo against the Breakers and he had massive shots to take over the game. He's done it every single time when the game's there to be won if it's close enough. And if not, he just is in some sort of groove. And honestly, watching him play, it's a joy to watch because I think he just enjoys playing basketball. Like, it's not a job to him. It, this man literally just goes out there, has a smile on his face and is just as effortless as they come. And I'm just so glad I picked him as a preseason MVP. It feels so good to see him. <laughs> well, as uh, also, um, Sorry, I was just going to say, Sydney Sydney also have a Swiss army knife that no one else has, and that's Xavier Cox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And Pete, I was going to say, as a, as a professional athlete that you are, um, you might not quite understand uh, this feeling that sometimes us normal people get, like me and Steve. But sometimes when you're watching supreme athletes like Jalen Adams, you watch them and you say, that I want to be friends with this guy because he just looks like he's having fun <laughs> out there. He looks like everyone loves him. He's super popular with the group. He just is a really likable uh, guy to watch. So I agree with you. It's been super fun. The big concern, and... Again, this all comes back to Jalen Adams again. The Tassie have been an excellent defensive team throughout the season, but thanks to our uh, friend, Jordan McCallum, who does uh, some fantastic stats over at his website. If you look up that website, Tasmania are actually seventh in pick and roll defense this year, Mm. which is a major, major concern when you're playing the Sydney Kings because of Jalen Adams, but to Steve's point, also because of Xavier Cooks, when they go to the Adams-Cooks pick and roll, if you want to throw two guys at Jalen Adams because you're terrified he's going to shoot the step back, then fine. Xavier Cooks rolls to the short roll to the free throw line. They find him. And then he is almost unstoppable in that position once the defense gets into rotation. He's got shooters all over the place. He can also finish at the basket. So I think you're both right in, in why you assess that this could be a problematic matchup uh, for Tasmania. But again, as we've said the whole season, there's been plenty of problematic matchups that uh, Tasmania have been able to overcome. So I certainly hope they win one game. Grand final MVP, is it worth asking the question, Steve? Um, I'm actually going to go with Xavier Cooks. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. He would, so if, if Sydney win this and Xavier Cooks wins grand final MVP, and, and by the way, to me, still, I, I don't want to say he's underrated because everyone understands how good mm. Xavier Cooks is, but still second team All-NBL. I had him clearly first team All-NBL. I think that was a, a big mistake, but... But he still, I think it's not as widely understood how important he is uh, for the Sydney team uh, and the success they've had. So I, I don't mind the pick of, of Cooks, but Hulls, it's, uh, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be Jalen. It really is. But again, in terms of people who, if the games are close enough from a Tassie point of view, if they really do compete, which I'm sure they're going to, they've done it every season, they've just proved everybody wrong. And Xavier Cooks makes big plays, and that that might really have that impact. I think if Sydney run away with it, Jalen Adams will just cruise into a twenty-eight and seven type of 
average yep. and just run away with it. But if Xavier Cooks is probably the only one who could really win it from a Sydney standpoint and take it from Jalen Adams, but it would take it would take a mighty effort. You would have to think. No doubt. So I my official prediction that I'm rolling with, and it actually pains me to say it because again, uh, I do want. The, obviously the two games in Tassie, but if I'm predicting Sydney in four, it's upsetting because it means that they're going to win game four in Tassie, which nobody wants to see. Although I would imagine if that's the way it plays out, that that arena will give them a standing ovation. They might still, you know, uh, I'm sure Scotty Roth wouldn't be paying for a beer that night uh, in any Hobart establishment oh. anyway, or ever again. Did. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sydney in four for me, Steve. Sydney in four. Sydney in three. Okay, well, that's I, 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 I've get against them the whole time. I'm not going to change now and say, Oh, Tassie in four. I'm not going to do that. To them. <laughs> I'm not off them. They'll thank me later. I bet against Winks for the last eight races. Look, Winks won, so Winks owes me a bit. Look, I look, I had a, an absolute mare the uh, the previous rounds, but you know, it's a bit like smooth Jimmy Apollo in The Simpsons when you're right 52% of the time, you're wrong 48% of the time. So <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm owning this. And by the way, Steve, we have got a couple minutes here, so no, we don't. We <laughs> when people, yeah, you know, get predictions wrong, it happens all the time. I've been very open about some of the stinkers I had, including my extreme faith in the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix this season. Uh, but yeah. going back to the semi-final podcast, and people can check it out if they want. Steve scoffed at the idea that Tasmania could win a game, and after game one. He messaged me and Halls and said, geez, it sucks when you're right. He declared the series over. That, that, that absolutely didn't happen. <laughs> scoffed is exactly what he did. That too. is exactly what I did. I absolutely It was scoffed. a big scoff. And yeah, it was a big scoff. I'm, I'm, I'm eating a real big bowl of my own words here. So Dean, well, Dean Vickman has Steve to thank. That was, that's exactly what happened, which is why I say Sydney in three. I'm not going to do that to Tassie. <laughs> Well, the good news is if we're all wrong in this series, we're all going to be wrong together. And we'll be back. I'm sure we'll have a podcast. We'll wrap up the grand final. Starts Friday night uh, in Sydney and then rolls down to Tassie on Sunday. So it's going to be pretty good, of course. Uh, get all the NBL news, the stories, the highlights, all that stuff. And watch the games, by the way, on ESPN. You can get all your stuff there. Pete For Pete and Steve and myself, we'll catch you guys after the grand final when perhaps... The Jack Jumpers prove us all wrong for the 7,000th time this season.